Thanks for checking out this video. My name's Kiara, and I hope you enjoy this message from Redemption Church. I see that all of you that didn't grow up Baptist, you were starting to dance. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Luke chapter 4. Hey, good morning. Welcome to camp. How many of you went to summer camp as a kid? All right. So you know where we're going this summer. I grew up going to camp, and uh, I remember one particular camp. I was at Beulah Beach, and I don't remember what the speaker talked about. Uh, I do remember who it was because we ran into each other much later in life. And I remember looking at him saying, listen, man, I have no idea what you talked about that week, uh, but I do remember that something happened in my heart. And that that week of camp was something that I still looked back at years later, saying that week, Jesus grabbed my heart in a new way, in a, in a different kind of way. This summer, as we are journeying through uh, our, our theme of summer camp, that's what I'm hoping for each and every one of you. You might not remember uh, a sermon in five years. You might not remember what book of the Bible we even worked through, but I'm hoping this summer that something happens in your heart with Jesus. Almost nostalgic. Like when you were in middle school or, or you were in high school or college and you had that week or that retreat or you went to that conference and something kind of bubbled up inside of you or overflowed and, and you loved Jesus unlike you ever had before. Later, um, after I went to middle camp, about 10 years later, I started running camps. It was part of my, my first ministry job. I oversaw our summer camp, and we would always tell kids, camp is the best week of your summer. That was our sales pitch. And uh, we'd get kids to go to camp and, uh, you know, by the hundreds, by the end, and, and, getting kids, and we knew that we were going to have a blast. I mean, it was going to be fun. We did some crazy things. I once led kids in a game called Ships and Sailors, which is like a glorified version uh, of Simon Says uh, in a mud pit. It was super fun, except for three inches under the mud was all rocks. And Carol's crying and everything. One kid got hurt. And then he got hurt doing something else later. So we took him to the hospital and we got there. Uh, the guy goes, well, I'm not so concerned about your ankle, but I think you have a staph infection. So thank God for that one. He saved us there. <laughs> we never played in the mud pit again, by the way. Learn from our mistakes. So I led camps for a long time, and, uh, and the fun was fun. But, but the thing that was amazing is we knew this, that even the kid who came in with the hardest shell, by that worship concert on Thursday night, his hands were going to be up. And that girl who came in, uh, who, who didn't want anything to do with Jesus. We always called Wednesday night girl cabin cry night because they'd all be sobbing until about three in the morning. And Jesus, if we could get them to camp, would do something in their heart. And some of us, it's been a long time since we had a late night walk around the lake. And we had the worship experience that we just wish lasted forever. They seem like distant memories. In this summer, we want to get back to that. To do that, we're going to study the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. And we're going to look at 13 interactions that Jesus has with, uh, I'll call them people, though the first one is the devil. So good start. 12 humans after that. 
We're going to look at these interactions that Jesus has with people and what happens when someone meets Jesus. What kind of reaction has to come out of an interaction with Christ? So this morning, we're going to start in Luke 4. If you got a Bible, you can do that. You also got your binders this morning. This is going to take you all the way through camp so you can open up your binders. And I know some of you are like, I haven't taken notes since college. That's okay. I encourage you, bring it back every week. Also in your binder, you've got uh, 13 note cards. These are for you to write down the weekly memory verse. And uh, we would encourage you to, to memorize the verse along with us this summer. It's Luke chapter 4, 1, 2. And I know some of you, again, you're like, I haven't memorized a Bible verse since catechism in the 60s. Well, time to come out of retirement. You've also got your camp schedule, by the way. We've got three big events this summer uh, that we're going to be talking all about. And on the back... We've got a little punch hole for all of your memory verses. So next week when you come and you're hanging out in the lobby, you can find somebody with a punch hole. Uh, they'll make themselves obvious. And you go up and you can say your verse and they're going to punch it. And someone's like, well, punch hole, you could cheat. Listen, if you want to cheat on the memory verse thing, that's, that's up to you. All right? <laughs> Taking notes, memorizing verses, wearing camp t-shirts. Yeah, it's camping. I get it. But if you've been to camp, man, you've had those moments with Jesus. And as you got into your 30s and your 40s, and life was so busy, and you got into your near retirement age, and you're just wondering how you're going to spend the rest of your days, you might crave some camp. You might crave some of those moments with Jesus again. So let's get into our text this morning, see what it wants to teach us. Luke chapter four starts out like this. The first two verses are your memory verse, by the way. First two verses. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness or into the wilderness, which is our topic for the morning, for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Yeah. Jesus is going into the wilderness. Now, before we talk about going into the wilderness, we need to talk about what has happened first because there's some presuppositions about going into the wilderness that we need to know. First off, the wilderness does not teach you or show you or make you who you are. It reveals who you already are. And this is important. Because a lot of times you think, oh, we go into the wilderness and that's where I, I become who I, who I am. Now, that's not the pattern we see here with Jesus. See, right before this, Jesus was uh, baptized. Jesus, fully God and fully man. And understanding this story, uh, we have to try to dip into the paradox a little bit of how Jesus was fully God and fully man because Jesus goes into the wilderness as one thing and he comes out of the wilderness as something else. Now, I know the verse Jesus is saying yesterday, today, and forever. The complexity is somehow Jesus was fully man still. It's part of our understanding of biblical doctrine. Before this moment, Jesus gets baptized. And when he gets baptized, the Holy Spirit falls upon him. And his heavenly father speaks out from heaven for his son and everyone else around here. And he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, Jesus' identity was determined before he entered into the wilderness. 
He already knew who he was. He didn't go into the wilderness to find out who he was. He went into the wilderness to prove who he was. This morning and this summer, a camp. For many of us in here, we've met Jesus. If you haven't, listen up, I'll tell you how. But if you have, many of us, we have met Jesus. And so even as I get into today's talk, this is not a talk about how you obtain your salvation. This is a talk about how you live out your salvation. We're not going to go into the wilderness and try to beat the wilderness. That way we get salvation. That's an impossible task. You'll lose to the wilderness every time. Instead, like Peter says, we're going to go into the wilderness, or Peter says, into the fire. What does the fire do? It reveals who we already are. It reveals what we already worship. The fire is a metaphor for difficulty in that case. Difficulty doesn't, it doesn't make us who we are. It reveals who we already are. So what is the wilderness? Because it's a physical, literal place. In, the, uh, in Hebrew, if we take the, the word for wilderness in Hebrew and then translate it over, the nickname for the wilderness would be the devastation. I love to go hiking out in Colorado. Until you cross the mountain or, or the tree line, it's pretty beautiful. It's green. There's shade. It's nice. The devastation is not nice. This literal physical wilderness was a 13 by 35 mile section outside of town. It was hot. Jesus probably would have slept in caves. The Gospel of Mark tells us that when he was out there, that the animals were amongst him. As in the wild animals uh, uh, came and they kind of surrounded Jesus. By the way, that's only a couple of places in Scripture where uh, animals and humanity are in perfect harmony. See, what's happening in the wilderness, too, is, a, uh, is, is it's playing back to the garden. We talk a lot about the garden at this church, I understand. But there's understanding in beginnings. See, uh, the way humanity started was in a garden completely surrounded by food. Then humanity failed and was put into a wilderness. Here, Jesus is starting over, but he's going to start in a wilderness with no food. So why? So you and I can end up back in the garden. So Jesus is out there, and he's out in the devastation. He's out there to um, restore or to begin the process of restoring what Adam, our first father, back in the garden lost. So what is the, the, the metaphor of the wilderness? Here it is. This is the first thing for your notes. It is the intentional season of preparation in which your character is refined, what you worship is revealed, and out of which you can be released with greater power. I'll read it one more time. It is the intentional season of preparation in which your character is refined, what you worship is revealed, and out of which you can be released with greater power. And if you're like, I can't write that down, then write this. Intentional, character refined, worship revealed, power released. That's what the wilderness is. It's an intentional season of preparation. How do you know you're in the wilderness? Well, let's see what the text tells us. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he returned from the Jordan. That was his baptism. And he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. How do you know you're in the wilderness? The Holy Spirit led you there. 
Now, this flies in the face of some modern doctrine or poor theology that says that God only wants, uh, um, you know, uh, that, that we are only led into or that post-Christianity is only good from a worldly perspective. No, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, into the barrenness. How do you know you're in the wilderness? Because the Holy Spirit brought you there. Why? <laughs> to refine some character, to reveal what you worship, and to release you on the other side with greater power. How do you know you're in the wilderness? Because the Holy Spirit has orchestrated either. Now, for Jesus, he didn't end up in the wilderness because he failed. Jesus was perfect before the wilderness. Then he proves his perfection in the wilderness. Jesus is led in the wilderness by the Holy Spirit after a shining moment. Some of us, that we've ended up in the wilderness. We weren't perfect when we got in there. But the wilderness is an intentional season of preparation. What I've been praying for each and every one of you this summer is that this summer would be an intentional season of God refining and revealing in your heart some things. What I've been praying for our church is that this summer together, would be a time where God refines us as a body, reveals if we're worshiping anything more than him and releases us on the other side of camp differently. The best part of camp was seeing kids come in one way and leaving completely different. <laughs> the most frustrating thing for parents was what? You paid all that money and they came back the same. How do you know you're in the wilderness? The Holy Spirit led you there. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. These are actual days. We'll hit that in a second. Being tempted by the devil. Here's our first interaction of Jesus meeting people. This time he's meeting the devil. How do you know you're in the wilderness? Because the devil is attacking you. How do you know you're in the wilderness? Because the devil is tempting you. How do you know you're in the wilderness? Because spiritual attack is coming your way. How do you know you're in the wilderness? Because uh, Satan, the enemy, the devil, whatever you want to use, whatever term, is going into, in that moment, uh, try to stop you from coming out the other side different. You, you know you're in the wilderness uh, because all of a sudden, you're, you're more aware of, of the attacks of the enemy. You know you're in the wilderness because he, he's attacking your mind more. And now, we're not really a type of church or, 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 or nor really doctrinally, you know, do I believe that, you know, the devil is under every stone. Right? It doesn't mean if you go, if you leave today and you get a flat tire that, you know, it was spiritual. It doesn't mean it's not. just doesn't mean it is. Let me tell you something scary, friends. If you set your heart on allowing yourself to enter into an intentional season of preparation, he will come after you stronger. The enemy will. Because he will want to stop you from the process of refining that's on the other side. See, Satan knew this, that his best chance at victory was not to defeat Jesus on the cross, was, was to stop him right here and now. 
See, if the devil could get Jesus to fail right here, to engage in sin in his weakest physical moments prior to the cross, then he could stop this thing before it began. And I don't know how all of this works. I know the devil isn't omnipotent and he's not omnipresent. But I wonder if he and God ever have conversations about what you might look like if you make it through the wilderness. And that might be scary to him. You refined. You more on fire for Jesus. So how do you know you're in the wilderness? Because the devil's attacking. That's how you know you're in the wilderness. You say, well, what if the devil's not attacking? <laughs> well, then maybe you ain't in the wilderness. You're at the Holiday Inn. glamping is the term. How else do you know? For 40 days being tempted by the devil and he ate nothing during those days. How many days? 40 days. Jesus ate nothing. Jesus went in as a 30-year-old something man. Okay, he was two, three years younger than I am right now. He went in as a 30-year-old man, probably a healthy individual. Imagine physically what he looked like after 40 days of not eating. The weakness. He was fully man. How do you know you're in the wilderness? Because the spiritual is elevated over the physical. How do you know you're in the wilderness? The spiritual is elevated over the physical. You begin to care more about the spiritual than you do the physical. You care more about the, the, the state of your heart than the state of your body. You long for his presence in the wilderness. To remember verse, so let's read it one more time. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, you don't want to go into the wilderness void of the Holy Spirit, by the way. You don't want to go into the wilderness this summer. You don't want to journey through us with these 13 weeks void of the Holy Spirit. It was essential that Jesus already knew who he was when he went into this season, and it's essential that you and I do too. That our value comes not from uh, what we are, but whose we are. That our salvation is secured by grace and grace alone. Not with that knowledge and the power or the fullness here of the Holy Spirit. I can go into this season. Sorry, I got distracted. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. That's your memory verse for the week. That's how you know you're in the wilderness. This summer, as we're journeying through this, that's how you know you're at camp, right? See, when I was leading camp, 
It was about two years into it, and I realized uh, that from a spiritual perspective, we were going into camp very unprepared. We were highly administrative and highly organized, uh, but we were spending very little time praying our way through camp or before camp. And about two years into camp, we decided we've got to start um, being as spiritually organized and as spiritually prepared for camp as we are physically and literally prepared for camp. And so about year two, we started to pray our way through camp, and we started asking parents to pray specific things, and we started asking our church body to pray for specific things or our church staff. And, and as we did that, we noticed that camp was way different. This summer, what do we want to see happen? Well, what happens in the wilderness? Let's look. What happens in the wilderness? Satan tempted Jesus, not just these three at the end that we always read about, but the entire 40 days. But it would appear that either at the end of the 40 days, he hits them with these three, because it seems to be a conclusion, right? Or maybe he's just describing the um, overarching you know, types of temptation that occurred. Um, but, it, but it seems like these are three specific temptations right at the end in Jesus's most frail moment. So what happens in the wilderness? The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. What happens in the wilderness is that Satan tries to knock you down by getting you to do three things. The first, to pursue, I'm going to say new things over newness. To pursue new things over newness. The first temptation here, Jesus shows up, or he, he, he's, Satan shows up, or, or I guess he's probably already been there, and he looks at him, he says, okay, 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 here at the end, I know how hungry you are, Jesus, so I'm going to attack you where you're weak. Uh, there's stones everywhere. I mean, the nature uh, of this devastation, this, this wilderness, uh, the stones that are being referred to would have covered the entire landscape. And so he looks in and he says, uh, it's theirs uh, right there for the taking for you, Jesus. Just turn it in to bread and pick it up and eat it. I once fasted for three days. And that first time I took a tortilla chip, it felt so weird to chew. Oh, but it was so good. I can't imagine how Jesus felt after 40 days. And so Satan shows up in, in his weakness. He says, okay, okay, uh, um, leverage your power or leverage your relationship with God to get you the physical thing that you want. That's the first temptation. Jesus, make your movement and your gospel uh, not about the spiritual, but about the physical. Make your gospel, Jesus, and show it right here in the wilderness. Satan is tempting him by saying uh, that what you're going to do is you're going to go and you're going to give people what they want physically, primarily. And Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone. In the Gospel of Matthew, he says, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, he's saying, the physical is not preeminent. The spiritual is. What is most important, Jesus is saying, in this moment to me, is not bread that I eat, but my relationship with the Father. See, Satan wants Jesus to satisfy the physical over the spiritual. There's nothing wrong with these physical things. But the temptation is to elevate the lesser over the greater. The temptation is to elevate wealth over worship, food over fellowship, 
health over holiness. These things aren't bad. But Jesus is showing us right here that his primary point and, and focus of his ministry is not the physical, it's the spiritual. It's not the bread, it's that he's the bread of life. See, the enemy is winning when you want those things more than their counterparts. The Holy Spirit is winning when you can say, I crave Jesus more than food. I crave holiness more than health. I crave worship more than wealth. I want those things more than I want, than I want the worldly things. You've probably had a spiritual moment, right? Maybe it was camp when you were younger, when, when you looked out and you saw all of the things that you had craved and you thought, man, it pales in comparison to this moment right here. Hopefully what happens in the wilderness is you have moments like that and it refines something and it reveals maybe what you've been worshiping more than Jesus. Second thing that the devil tries to do in the wilderness, he, to, he tries to knock us down by getting us to compromise instead of concentrate. Let me show it to you in the scripture. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Imagine all of that laid out. And said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me. Now, Satan's kind of lying, but he's kind of telling the truth. He is the prince of the power of the world, uh, but we do know that God holds all things, so there's a little bit of both in there. And I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. What happens in the wilderness? The devil tries to get you to compromise instead of concentrate. Compromise is to look wider and to involve more and say, okay, I'll take some of this and I'll take some of that. To concentrate is to focus narrower. Satan tells Jesus to include Satan or himself in Jesus's worship. He says, look how much you can have if you worship me too. Satan says to him, your worship doesn't have to be exclusively God. You can love me, Satan says, and you can love God. The enemy is winning when we think I can just have the best of both worlds. I'll figure out a way to compromise my life where I can still have everything I want in this world, where my heart can still be prone to these things in the world. But yes, I also love God. But, but where our heart is, is we want both. And what we're going to see in these 12 stories, and I hope that in one of the 12 stories that we're gonna look at over the next two weeks, as, 12 weeks, as Jesus interacts with people, I hope one of those stories slaps you. because that story becomes a mirror and it shows where your heart may love the world more than Jesus. So what happens in the wilderness is Satan wants us to compromise. He wants us, uh, Jesus' brother James would say it later like this, uh, that when we love the world and we claim to love God, that we're like a ship going back and forth on a stormy sea. 
No, the aim of our summer is not to compromise. It's not to go wider. It's to focus narrower and to say, I only want my eyes on Jesus. I only want to love Jesus. I only want to worship Jesus. The great thing about camp was we take the kids' phones. By Monday night, they're shaking. By Tuesday, they're sobbing. By Thursday, though, they're like, man, life is actually better when I'm not addicted to that. And we're not going to take your phones. But what if there was a similar refining for you this summer? And you got to later on in the summer and you're like, whoa, whoa, my life is actually better when I put down the things of the world that always grab my attention. See, the spirit is winning when we begin to detest sin, when the idea of compromise is disgusting to us. And what our desire then is just for him and him alone. Jesus, I just need you. Jesus, I just want you. Third thing that happens in the wilderness. The first two failed. Jesus didn't give in. And he took him to Jerusalem and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not test, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The third thing that happens is the devil wants us to, to seek popularity over posture of worship. In his final attempt, Satan tries to get Jesus to do fancy tricks. He's saying, stand up on top where everyone's going to see you. Throw yourself down. In other words, make your movement about the exceptional. Win people because of your tricks. For us, Satan's last assault on us is to get us to seek the spotlight. In this way, Satan subtly moves us or our accomplishments ahead of God. We begin to think, hey, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. We think of our feats and our great achievements, and we go back to God in order to produce more results. We go back to God because we think, okay, now if I I did this good thing, and and I think God was with me when I did that, so I'm going to run back to God, and, and and if I trick God the right way, I can use God, and he can produce more for me. When I go to weddings, there's only one thing separating me from every other old white guy standing around the dance floor watching, and that's a backflip. As soon as I lose that backflip, I'm done. It's my party trick. Dance starts, I wait, hit my backflip, I'm done. People think I'm still young. It's good. Pull it out when I need it. Some of us pull out God when we need him. Say, God, come in here, do a backflip, it's awesome little party trick, then I'm going to put you away. That's what Satan was tempting Jesus. He's saying, hey, just just use your power as a party trick. Jesus looks at him and says, my father, (laughs) he's not a toy that we play with. He's not just an emotion that we seek after. 
He's not just a desperate prayer to save us in the last moments. He's the maker of everything. I posture myself before him in worship. Jesus is looking at me, he's like saying, this isn't a game. I'm not gonna test God. I'm not gonna have him just come serve my beck and call. I'm gonna lay myself uh, on the ground before him. I'm gonna acknowledge him as king, as maker of everything. I'm gonna worship him. The very next verse, Satan leaves because he's fed up because he keeps losing. And then it says, Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee. See, when we, when we travel through the wilderness, now here's the deal. You and I aren't gonna be perfect in the wilderness like Jesus was, but we don't need to be because Jesus was. We have something Jesus didn't, not say Jesus didn't have, but we have a gift from Jesus, which is called grace. And so the good news about us in the wilderness is when we fail, Jesus says, get back up and keep trying and keep going. You don't have to go back to the beginning of the wilderness and start over. Grace, boom, get to keep going. But when we work through these intentional seasons of preparation, when like camp, we say, I'm gonna stop my normal life and I'm gonna pursue Jesus unlike I have before on the other side of this. And I don't completely understand how Jesus has a different relationship with the Holy Spirit at the beginning than he does at the end, but he does. Because he walks in full of the Holy Spirit, he comes out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is when his ministry begins. In God's divine plan, he had Jesus go through the wilderness before he had Jesus launch his ministry. Which means for us this summer, that is, we go into the wilderness and you'll know you're there if the spiritual begins to be heightened over the physical. Where if all of a sudden you find your heart beginning to just to crave the things of God more and the things of this world less. The things in the physical that didn't go the way that you wanted them to go, it bothers you less. You'll know you're there because uh, you're going to be heightenedly aware of spiritual attack against you and your family. Because you know that you're moving to something new. You're going to know you're there because the power or the fullness of the Holy Spirit is on you. And then there's going to be these moments where Satan's going to try to knock you down, trip you up. Because on the other side, Jesus returned in power. He went back to the same place physically that he was before the wilderness, but he went back in a new power. Because the point of camp is not that you um, and then say, okay, well, I'm never going back to the places that I went before camp. No, the point of camp is that I go back, but I'm changed. It's like when we told those kids at camp, listen, if you get into the car and you're as much of a jerk to your mom as you were beforehand or to your brother or sister or whatever else it might be, then camp was useless. I need you to now go back to the life that you had before, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Friend, that's what I'm praying for you this summer. That we would all together take an intentional season of preparation and let God refine what needs to be refined. Reveal what needs to be revealed. 
and then release us as a body, as a church, and as individuals with the new fullness and power of the Holy Spirit. My prayer is that this summer, like a week at camp, would bubble up. At camp, we always ended every Thursday night with a worship concert, and it was like the roof was going to blow off. The last Sunday of camp, 12 weeks from now, we're going to have a worship concert right here in this room. I hope it feels like the roof is going to blow off. Thanks for watching this video. If you want to learn more about our church, go ahead and click the link in the description or head on over to experienceredemption.com. Have a great week, guys.